Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ABZ show with me, your host, Abe. Today, I have a very special guest that we met in an actual event. Uh, I think we met in a pitch event. Walid, how are you? Not bad, not bad. How are you doing, Abe? I am good, good. So please tell my audience who Walid is and what do you do? Walid studied civil engineering because his dad convinced him that's the best thing to do because his aunts were civil engineers and his brother studied civil engineering and everybody else did. But uh, after doing it for a year and a half, Walid quit. And uh, I'll stop talking about myself in third person. I then went and uh, stumbled into insurance. And I keep telling people this joke. I, I don't think you ever uh, dream of going into insurance, you know, when, you, when you're a kid, like, oh, I want to go into insurance. But uh, I found how manual and how boring it is and um, how a lot of hypocrisy exists where existing insurance companies say, you know, we need to let go of our legacy systems. I think insurance companies on their own are legacy systems. I might get some flack for this. But uh, we started where I met you was when we did a, a B2B platform that uh, reconciled payments between insurance companies uh, for claims. I think we met in FinTech Hive in 2018. I remember. That was, yeah, the time was just me and my brother, Kareem. Yep. And uh, recently in November, we pivoted to Hala. So we were previously called Adenda. We're now called Hala. We have more than 1,000 uh, users, um, broke 1 million dirhams in grocery and premium recently. And it's it's been a nice, steady journey of 20, 30, 50% month-on-month growth. Nice. Fantastic. Fantastic. So so tell me, like, like, how, like we always talk about the pivot, you know? Hmm. What really drove the whole pivot? You know what I mean? Because I know you guys were doing more B two B, and now you're more B two C, right? So, like, you know, who made that decision? Like, and what was it made out of? Right. So, so obviously, there's a lot of. It's difficult letting go because our investors had invested in our B two B plan and our B two B vision, and um, you know, at the time, the B two B portion of the business was uh, was doing good. We reconciled 30 million dirhams between insurance companies. We had nine insurance companies on board in the UAE, six in Bahrain, six in Kuwait uh, piloting. So it's not that business wasn't doing well. It's just when COVID hit, um, obviously our business was per transaction. It depended on uh, accidents happening on the road. So with lockdown, there weren't any accidents. I kind of feel like a vulture just talking about the previous business model, but uh, we decided, listen, hold on for a second. We quit our jobs to handle the last mile delivery of car insurance claim reconciliation. I mean, just saying that is, is confusing. Yes. So we thought, listen, um, that was a big market, but the biggest market is instead of serving insurance companies, competing with them. And now what we intend to do eventually is to build the most seamless insurance experience where you could buy a car insurance in three minutes, buy home insurance in no time, buy pet insurance in no time, and uh, have your claim get resolved in the same day. That's really my goal, that you show off with your insurance company instead of, you know, saying what? Yeah, yeah. I, I do believe, you know, like that whole process is so archaic and it's so like, uh, um, I'm not gonna say taboo, but like, you know what I mean? Like, the, like a lot of times, you know, fender vendors happen and you look at the, you know, you look at the other person and you're like, you know, just let, let, let's let it go. I don't want to go through the process, right? So it's just such a tedious process of, unless obviously something has been really damaged or uh, God forbid somebody, you know, there's an injury. Mm. Um, and, and it's just because, um, you know, the whole, 
I know it's there's no paperwork, but the whole back of my mind, calling somebody, filling out paperwork, going to the police station, and I'm talking about car insurance right now. I'm not talking. Mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. It's it's such like it'll take so much of your time. You, you said and like honestly, like I see this all the time when you know they look at that and I'm like, it's just a scratch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, and that that also makes me uncomfortable and sad because. You're paying a let's call it a yearly tax for car insurance to avoid worrying about accidents, but then you have an accident and your biggest worry is about actually talking to the insurance company. Mm. So there's a clear conflict of interest between the insurer and the insured. And that's kind of the bridge that we want to gap. No, I, I and it's honestly it's a great um I would say it's a great crusade because it will be a crusade for you, right? It's um, it's not. It's not a sexy crusade either, you know. When they say insurance, like people go like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Oh." Um, yeah. But but no, but it, it needs to be done, and somebody needs to do it. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, there is mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. whole business uh, proposition, the whole uh, uh, theme of uh, of that whole insurance thing. Like, honestly, I think um, one of our startups in Startup Bootcamp said. Um, had had a statistic. It was really really funny. Something about um, customers are um, what do they say exactly? Customers would prefer to close the door on their hand and not talk to an insurance uh, company. Like literally, like there was an actual statistic, and I'm like, wow! It tells you how you know closed and how uh, backwards this whole system is. If you think banking in the UAE or in the region or even across the world is 15 years behind tech in general, I think insurance is 30. I'm not going to name any companies, but look at any of the biggest insurance companies. Look at any of the insurance companies where you live right now and good luck trying to file a claim online. Not a single one of them has an ease of filing a claim online. You could do it if you send the facts, call them, give them your personal, like all of the details they need, again, that they already have, but it's crazy. You, you, you talk about this, and I have a funny story for you, actually. In 2006, mm-hmm. when we started my call center company, um, we started knocking on banks and insurance companies. And I think we spoke to a couple of insurance companies, maybe 2007, 2008. I would visit not only the, CIO, uh, the CEO's office, the COO's office, the, even the chief of risk office, and none of them would even have a computer on their desks. They were very, like these big ledgers and like they were very, very old school. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, yeah, I don't think these people need to, I think they need to digitize before digital transformation. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, there's there's the fact that there's not even a PC. I mean, you you say that in 2006, was it? Yeah, 2007 actually, or eight. All right, let's travel to 2019. And again, I don't want to say things I'm not supposed to say, but now that we've moved from the B2B business, I've got, Maybe I can't say these things. Otherwise, you could cut them out at the end. But what happened was, and this is, this is a nameless, gigantic insurance company. And everything I'm saying here is a quote verbatim. I'm not saying these things. But effectively, we went to pitch our B2B product. We showed them that we can reconcile their payments, go paperless, help them pay other insurance companies their payables and get their receivables and all of that stuff. And halfway through the meeting, this elderly gentleman, is all I want to say, uh, said, and I quote, why do I need you to digitize this process for me if I could hire a, and I quote, T-boy on a Friday for 3,000 dirhams to print all of these papers, scan them, and then fax them to them? 
And it's that moment that I knew there is no way for you to digitize this company. There's no way for you to convince all insurance companies to digitize. Yep. These are people who are stuck in their old ways and have no intention and are so far disconnected from what the customer wants, where the customer is not their priority anymore. Yep. Just slap a picture of an umbrella on your website, Technicolor family laughing and smiling. And there you go. You got an insurance company product. And, and I know the exact, the exact dinosaurs you're talking about, because uh, when I used to go as well in that company and pitch my call center, and I'd say, you know, it costs X. And they're like, what? Like $1,000? No, like I can hire somebody for a couple of hundred dollars. And I'm like, I have a million dollars in infrastructure. I am automate, you know, there's all kinds of digital tools. You know, we have a digital, uh, at that time, uh, digital lines to keep it, to keep things simple. Um, you know, all of that has to cost. And then I got to make money too. He's like, no, no. And, I, and I'm like, like he was saying, like, I can get somebody for $250. I'm like, who can you get? Because they don't think of scale, right? No, it's not. There is no person that makes $250. Well, at least when we started, you know, and, and they want them to speak Arabic and English. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's. When they started whipping out the calculator. Good luck. Numbers, yeah. like, you know Thank you very much. Uh, you know what I mean? And they don't get that. And those were a battle um, uh, of my actual growth of the company. And then we had, and that's when we, you know, when, when we talk to startups, we tell them, find like-minded people like you that would grow with you. You know, mm -hmm. there's a reason why this dinosaur is in his place. But eventually, there's disruption that's going to happen there. There's going to be a younger kid that comes in in the organization and say, what's going on? This does not make any sense. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, we've been moving, and especially in tech, on a light speed projection, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. So mm -hmm. very interesting. Very interesting how different businesses but share the same characters, right? So, you know, I came from the customer experience business, and you come from the insurance, and it's like, we're almost speaking the same language. It's because something has to change. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so tell me, um, because I know you're young, you and your brother are young, and and so what do you believe? Oh, I, tur I turned thirty in a couple of weeks, so I don't know how I feel about that. Well, uh, happy, well, <laughs> happy birthday, I guess. Uh, you still need. There's going to be some. You're going to share some stories in the next ten years. That's for sure. If you're yeah. But. Uh, so, so tell me, from, from your eyes, what do you think this ecosystem is missing? Uh, customer centricity. I think there's a lot of talk about, again, there's a lot of talk in advertisements about the customer, and there's a lot of talk about discounts. Let's go to Sheikh Zayed Road, drive across the highway. You'll see 15 to 20 insurance ads. None of them project anything other than a discount. So there's an assumption that all the customer wants is a discount, where in... The difference is if you look at all the products available in other parts of the world, whether it's home insurance, liability insurance, pet insurance, cybersecurity, I mean, the average insured person, allegedly, I don't have the data to back this up, but I heard from someone in Germany, has three to four insurance policies. I think the average for us is zero to one, health being mandatory recently, and motor insurance, again, being mandatory if you have a car. How many people do you know have home insurance, or how many people do you know have pet insurance, or and these are, these are products that cost 300 dirhams to insure all of your equipment at home, all of your board games behind you, all of your, you know, contents, uh, your belongings, as well as liability against others. If you're smoking and you drop a cigarette and your building catches on fire in the UAE, there's, or in the Middle East in general, good luck. You're, you're liable for this. 
So there's an entire culture around uh, education of insurance that's missing. And I think none of the insurers are willing to pay the upfront marketing cost for awareness, not brand awareness, mind you, but insurance awareness. Yeah. I, I, you know what? Yeah, I, if you ask me what was wrong with the whole, well, at least your insure tech is definitely education. Nobody wants to do it. Everybody is depending on everybody else to do it. And everybody's hoping that the government would, you know, by act of miracle would actually start talking about, you know, what is your rights? What do you need? What do you need uh, to do and stuff like that? Like home insurance. I didn't know that I had to buy insurance until I bought my own apartment. Then they said, okay, no, it, because it's mortgaged. So it's mm -hmm. like, more like mortgage insurance than a house insurance, but they, they link it together. But it's but then you're only paying it as a tax, right? Not because you want to, even then. Exactly. You're like, oh, I have to buy insurance? It's not yeah. like, it's not the, the first thought that comes to your mind. No, 100%, you know what I mean? And, and people can get, like, um, it's a good move that actually, you know, certain countries have actually moved uh, health insurance into a mandatory section because um, you know health costs are spiraling out of out of control. People, you know, they they're trying to avoid the doctor not because of the fear of them telling them something they don't want to hear, but the costs are so high, right? So, mm -hmm. but you know, a step forward is definitely offering that, and obviously motor insurance and all that good stuff. But I think okay, so with education. Why isn't the syndicate doing it? Why isn't it like a group of um, insurance companies teaming up together for the greater good? Do you see that happening? Why is the old guard not changing its way is the question, I guess. And it kind of answers itself, right? Because in their assumption is if I'm making profit and it's not broken, then I don't want to fix it. There's so much more room for profit, by the way, even for these insurance companies in home insurance and other types of insurance. But there's not sufficient interest in risk-taking Beyond that, you've got CEOs, and I'm not an ageist, mind you, I'm not trying to talk poorly about people based on their age, but if you have a CEO who's been in this position for 25 years, 30 years, some even more than that, and if their second in command and third in command have been there as well for that period of time, these are individuals who are more interested in retiring soon than you know, shaking up uh, the ecosystem. So on that basis, I think if they're profiting as is from motor insurance, and by the way, barely, so the same applies to health insurance, barely, so the market is so extremely competitive between the 60 odd insurance companies you have and the 100 plus brokers and all the aggregators, it becomes a price war. And that's why you see, again, a focus strictly on prices uh, in, in Sheikh Zayed or otherwise. How many people told you that you've ever met where they went, I had an insurance claim and it was a fantastic experience? I cannot find one. In fact, I'll pay you if you can find me one. Um, so, so there's that, that conflict of interest between, oh, if I give them home insurance and I educate that, them about home insurance, they're going to claim for home insurance. And my answer is exactly, that's your job. You're not, you are a for-profit business, but your job is to ensure the safety of the people you go on stage and talk about in your conferences. You know, put your money where your mouth is, protect people, ensure them. 100%, 100%. All right. So let's talk about you now. All right, so yeah, um, so you know what a BHAG is? I'm sure you've heard of the big, hairy, audacious, not gorilla, gold, but it's a picture of a gorilla on Google for some reason. Yeah, it's the big, uh, hairy, or ambitious goals, I would say, audacious goals. Yeah. So, what's Walid's BHAG, either for the business or for you personally? I'd like to hear what, you know, what's hmm. BHAG for you? 
for me personally, it's to so some of some of the BHAGs are selfish and some of them are selfish. I think they balance out. Um, I want to take my startup and everybody with me in the team to a position where at the end of the day we could look back just like the PayPal mafia did, and you had all these people exiting and making their own startups and things like that. So that's the selfish part. But I want to take as many people as I can with me that I think have the hustle for it. Uh, the selfless part is more on Hella's side, and I want to make sure, like, we won't stop until everybody in the Middle East understands the value of affordable insurance and the protection you can get from it. You will have bad days, and we could be here for you, or we could all profit. I could make money, and you could be safe. So it's not on me against you. We could actually work together. Okay. Um, I think it's well said, but, you know, usually, you know, uh, BHAGs are a bit more outlined. Like, I love the first one when you said that you want to create another Hala Mafia, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of an anti, uh, what's it called? Uh, so it's, it's, it's very, how do I say this? It's very polarizing, you know, the Hala and Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there's been a couple of them actually in MENA that have been created. I know... Kareem would be one. Kareem could be one. Jabbar Group could be another one. Yeah. Of them. Uh, also, you'd argue, like, even smaller uh, uh, organizations have created multiple startups as well. Um, I mean, I look at Abe Sixic and I think just the same thing. Look at how many startups you and your teams have come with. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and, and I do believe, like, and we have couple of ventures coming out of even the call center and a couple of ventures coming out of, you know, even Akhtabud had uh, like mm. five companies underneath. So um, venturing becomes much easier for serial entrepreneurs because A, you'd have the foundation and stuff like that. And then you just double down on uh, ideas that you feel that the market needs. And, and that's- As well as reputation, right? I mean, when I look at companies that are as amazing as Tabi, uh, you know, Sam Arab, obviously, a uh, very smart person on his own, but the success of Namsh reflects his success in Tabi, and then it becomes a cyclic thing where you could have potentially down the line multiple ventures at the same time, 100%. which are all successful. 100%. So, okay, so one last question before I ask you the right curveball question is what, Walid, what have you regretted in the last year, in the last couple of years? Forget um, <laughs> Yeah. Forget what, sorry? Forget COVID. Forget COVID. I didn't, I didn't cause COVID, so I don't regret COVID. <laughs> I'll tell you. Everybody these days blames COVID. Ah, we were on the trajectory and then COVID. No, no, no. I've, I've done my fair shares of, uh, and you can bleep this out, fuck ups, I guess. This is my only cuss that I'll be using in this, in this show. Uh, my, biggest, my biggest regret is at the beginning, um, when I was relatively new, I had hired one or two individuals which were not a good fit. So uh, churn from Hela, voluntary churn has been zero so far. However, one or two individuals out of the 18-member team now uh, were poor hires and I hadn't acted fast enough. Um, so I think it, it is not easy because you can't always be kind and decisive and you know uh, assertive at the same time. These are kind of don't go hand in hand. You got to pick one or the other. And sometimes you have to make decisions that are maybe difficult for you, but important for the company and for the culture of the company as a whole. Because we think of culture above all else. And um, I can't risk making mistakes like that again. The truth is, I will make hiring mistakes again. 
and I will make other types of mistakes again. And I have to accept that these are mistakes that I make. And you know what? Like, uh, I know a bit about recruitment. Uh, I've been in that field for a while. And, yeah. You know, and it's, it's I, like, you know, when you read these books, I'm not going to call them fluffy books, but when they keep telling you, you know, run fast and hire um, fast, fire fast and hire slow, fire fast and whatever. But you know what? There is some sense into it because um, keep in, as, in mind, there's another thing that people never talk about is the job, every job actually uh, mutates into something new um, very quickly. You know what I mean? Like, because you're trying to be this agile organization where, you know, you hire them to do a specific thing. Six months down the road, you're like, you know what? We're good. We're pivoting into like what you did. You pivoted into B2C. Mm-hmm. Two different personas of employees that you need, right? So, and this is where, you know, the, the decision is, okay, you can teach employees new skills, you know, the lazier founders usually say, no, no, let's get rid of everybody and get somebody who's not experienced. It needs a bit more, you know, obviously there isn't the time, but I, I believe that a lot of founders have actually worked around it by actually introducing more, uh, you know, more time and effort into, you know, transforming their, you know, employees. Their teams. Uh, but yeah. Sometimes you need like a whole new technology, which means you do need new people or you need to add more people or, you know, a product manager that does B2B is not the same mentality as a product manager that does B2C, right? So um, surprisingly, I don't necessarily, I don't want to interrupt you. I apologize. No, no, go ahead. I don't don't necessarily agree entirely. I mean, when we pivoted again, our product manager, uh, sorry, our business analyst became a B2C product manager and he's killing it. Our uh, account manager who studied electrical engineering, is now our marketing person. Uh, I personally studied civil. Our product manager studied biomedical supplies. One of our developers studied chemical engineering. In fact, when I hire, we focus on three things. The first one is a desperation for perfection. The second one is the hustle. And the third one is talent. I don't hire based on talent. In fact, uh, we've turned down a lot of talented people because they didn't fit the culture. And I think that's more, way more important for me now. I've got to a point where if you don't understand that role, but you're junior enough, I will hire you and have someone can mentor you uh, into that role. And that's kind of what we're focusing on. In fact, we've hired quite a few um, NYU graduates now just for that. Not, not, not people think like you. Like, uh, mm. like I personally always hire for the future. I never hire for now. Like uh, yeah. people come in and want to fill the gap now. But no, I always hire for a person that I see him two to three years down uh, in uh, what are they going to do? Because I want to give them this hook um, or I want to give them this this carrot that would not only give us um, the great output that they usually come up with and you know that gives them a path a career path career path and, and I do 100% agree with you on culture honestly I've hired people you know people come to me and say oh I was third on my graduating class and whatever whatever and I'm like yeah no you know we we yeah. like do like a like an emotional intelligence test in certain positions, and you can tell how people can read the room, and you know what I mean. Not necessarily people that did very well in school uh, actually do anything well. You know what I mean. So um, again, there is exceptions to the every rule. I'm Absolutely. saying there is. I wish it, it's not a copy paste uh, kind of thing. It's you have to find. And you know what? As you said, um, your gut sometimes tells you. 
you're doing something right and something wrong and you could be wrong you know you've you yeah. i've hired people that i've loved them and then like a, a month into it i'm like okay i might have rushed this hire you know what i mean or might have done something like that and circumstances change rapidly as well what if you switch to b2b what if you run out of capital what if a certain product you're making is no longer needed what if regulatory things prevent you from issuing something or launching certain thing yeah 100 100 so All right, so let me ask you my curveball question that I ask everybody. Go so, ahead. What superhero would you like to mimic or what superhero power or what, what power would you want? So my favorite superhero is Deadpool, but it's not a power I want to mimic. I mean, I don't think I have his sarcasm or his humor. I wish I did, but I, I look up to that type of humor and the fact that he doesn't die. Uh, okay. <laughs> which superpower would I want to have myself Uh, yo, I mean, look at Batman. That guy has all this capital that <laughs> he's ready to deploy <laughs> without necessarily being superhuman. So I think that's, that, that is potentially achievable out of all of them. <laughs> Maybe he's a VC in disguise. Money, just throw money at people. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, I'd say a, a mix between Deadpool and Batman, probably. Nice, nice, nice. I like it. I like it. Well, We're at the end of the episode. I do have an I do have a hashtag that I want everybody to uh, reach out to, which is hashtag Real Talk No Nonsense. And I want you guys to check out uh, Hala Insurance. Do you want to give us the website for people to come in and check it out and uh, reach out to Walid? Go ahead, please. Give yeah, absolutely. It's www.joinhala.com. Amazing. You heard it here. Thank you, Walid, for doing this. Thank you very, very much. And we will talk soon. Until next time. That's just mine, man. Take care. Bye-bye.